You're listening to Work Human Radio. And here's your host, Mike Wood. Welcome back to Work Human Radio, pioneered by Global Force. My name is Mike Wood. I am your host. And this week, we're going to be talking to Tamara Chandler, who is the founder and CEO of People Firm. She's a Work Human 2017 speaker, and she's the author of How Performance Management is Killing Performance and What to Do About It. Sarah Payne recently got on the phone with her and talked about different performance processes that will enable us to do our best work. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Here's our interview with Tamara Chandler. So my first question is just, can you tell us a little bit about uh, who you are and why you're passionate about rebooting performance management? <laughs> sure. Um, so I'm Tamara Chandler. I'm the founder and CEO of People Firm, a small but mighty strategy and implementation consultancy uh, up in the northwest corner of the United States. And and we really work with clients to drive high-performing organizations and help them create what we call the win-win, inspired people driving inspiring performance. And you can't be doing that if you aren't um, creating a process that lets your people thrive. And a key element of thriving is having healthy conversations and performance processes that let us do our best work. And so that's a bit of where my passion came from. I have had experiences over the year, of course, years, of course, I grew up in different organizations. I was a partner at Arthur Anderson and have had traditional models my whole life that I've lived within. And I had the experience when I was the chief people officer at Hitachi to kind of start with a blank sheet of paper and design something. And we, we did some really cool stuff then, but I would say our ideas were still very anchored in the traditional models. And that was a really interesting learning time for me of like what was working and what wasn't and how I might do it differently in the future. And then I had an interesting opportunity when James Shalaber, who has been the CHRO at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, called me and said, hey, will you write a white paper for us on performance management for the leadership here? They were getting ready to redesign their process, and he needed something that was, you know, short and science-based because they're researchers and they're busy people. And that, what I didn't know, that one simple call really set me on a path to say, hey, it's really time to rethink this process. And not only do we need to rethink it, but people really need a process and tools and ideas that help them do it. Because I think what we've seen is there's a lot of agreement we need to change, but people have been slow to move because I don't think they've known what to do. What do you think is driving the change? Uh, You know, I think some people say it's generational. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think I think there's an element of that, but I wouldn't put it all in that category. You know, I think that the the millennial generation moving in has really raised awareness of what everyone wants. And I think that it's just sort of helped open our eyes. But I think what a lot of the millennials are saying that they want from their experience and work isn't different from what a boomer or a Gen Xer is going to say they want. But I think it's put some momentum behind it. I think the other thing that has happened is the just the sort of awareness of the science and the research behind how do we motivate people, how do we create great and high-performing organizations. And some of that research isn't even necessarily new, but it, it seems like it finally really took hold and people are starting to pay attention to it. You know, Daniel Pink has that famous quote of there's what organizations do and what science tells us, or I'm bastardizing the quote, but something in that form. And, and I think that's it. We finally started to pay attention to the science and say, hey, this is telling us what we're doing isn't working and we really need to rethink it. So I think it's a combination of those things. 
We actually spoke last year. Uh, you did a Q and A for our blog uh, about rebo- mm-hmm. rebooting uh, performance management. So, you know, in the past year, do you think companies have made progress in this area? Uh, I think companies have made progress, and I think there's a lot more that have changing or rebooting performance management on their list. But what I tell clients when I'm talking with them or anyone I have a chance to talk to about this topic is people haven't gone as far as everyone thinks they have. Um, And some of that is the the publicity and the press that's been around it. So when you've watched some of the different PR and pieces have come out, you know, we've had some pretty big organizations, you know, publicizing that they're changing it. But many of them, even when they're out there speaking to the press, haven't made significant changes yet. They're sort of indicating the directions that they're going. Our research tells us that probably we still have 70 to 80% of organizations yet to move. Um, Some people have made some tweaks, but I think we still have the leaders out there and, you know, there's others that are now really starting to follow and they may be sort of mid-process or early in the process, but I don't think we're as far as a lot of people might assume from the amount of conversation and chatter that's been around this topic. And I think part of it is that, you know, you get the big names, big name companies saying that they'll do away with annual reviews, but, you know, if you look at smaller companies or more traditional ones, I think it's harder to make that change. Yeah, I, I think so. And, and you know, like you said, the big names, the GEs, the Accenture, some of these who have, who have been out there, you know, they've got whole teams that can really focus on this, and they're in organizations that can pilot and take, you know, risks and do different things. And I think if you've got a more conservative, more traditional company, that that's scary, right? And so it's taking people a while to sort of build up that courage, I think. So my next question is about uh, motivating people, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, traditional performance management, I mean, the ultimate goal is to improve performance. Um, so what do you think is one change that organizations can make to better motivate their people? So I, we have in our thinking what we call the eight fundamental shifts, but the one that I would say is most significant is putting the power in the hands of your people. And, you know, it's, it's their careers. And if we as the organization can give them clarity of the direction that we're going, help them connect to that purpose, and then give them tools and information that helps them guide and drive their own career, I think that is the most significant thing that we can do. And it ties back a little bit to, you know, you said it's to drive performance. Well, when we first started looking at this, when I started digging into this topic when James called me, what we found was performance management isn't actually driving performance. In fact, we think that more often than not, it may be reducing performance. And that's because what we know is engagement drives performance. We know it's causal, it's connected, it's meaningful. But we couldn't make the connection between performance management and engagement. But if you start to peel back engagement and you think about the things that drive engagement, one of those is an individual feeling like they have that ability to influence their career and their experience and that they're getting the support that they need. And so I think the more that we can, you know, we say give the keys to the to the employees, I think that's where a lot of the power is. Right. So it's about autonomy and empowerment? Exactly. And But I think that autonomy and empowerment has to come with, information and context, right? We've seen some of the uh, press lately saying, oh, you can't just get rid of ratings. It doesn't work. Well, I agree. If you just get rid of ratings and you don't give people anything else to go on, then you've not done anything. Um, You have to give them context into what does great 
performance look like? How do I contribute? What's needed by the organization? And so it's a matter of providing that information and then empowering them to take it where they want to. Exactly. So what do you think more organizations are looking to integrate more ongoing feedback and conversations, especially as they're looking at ditching the annual review? <laughs> well, I think why more organizations are finally getting there is they're realizing this isn't working, right? And and I think that people have had more courage to start to say that. And And it's difficult because, you know, we've put a ton of effort into trying to make this performance management process work. And you know, tweaks and redesigns and things over the years, but it's still all been anchored in that traditional model. And I think we've finally been willing to say, you know, wow, that was all done with the best intent, but it's not driving the outcomes that we want. And so as people are looking at that, they're starting to say, there has to be a different way to get ongoing feedback, to drive that conversation, to make that experience not this, you know, brutal annual process where I get, you know, a download from my manager and maybe rated or even worse ranked through that process. That's such a, you know, such a downer. And I think people right. finally started to open up to that, right? And, I mean, with the ongoing feedback and conversations, I mean, this opens the idea of coaching. And mm-hmm. it's something that uh, we've done some research in. Uh, we had a survey with Sherm last year, and it showed that HR professionals think, you know, managers need more coaching. 93% of them said that. Um, does this surprise you, and you know why or why not? No, it doesn't surprise me. So we've we've been collecting our own data as we've been speaking, and we've been um, asking people, are you ready to reboot or not? So that's where some of my data on, you know, I know that over 70 to 80 percent are still needing to reboot. But additionally, we've been asking about what's been holding you back, and there's three key reasons. Um, one of them is that we don't know how to deal with rewards in a new model. The second is we don't have confidence in our managers, and those are the two top, and they've been a pretty tight run for which one leads. Um, This manager, what we call the manager dilemma, is driven by a couple of things, right? Um, We haven't um, done a good job at really defining even what the expectations are for managers. And, you know, do we want you to be a player or a coach? I think if you went into a lot of organizations, they wouldn't even be clear on that. And I think part of why it's confusing is we've promoted the players. We've promoted people who are strong performers in their function or discipline who may or may not be good coaches. So we've, you know, there's been some questionable promotions on, you know, are these the right people to be managing, which is sad because it's, it's if you had someone who is performing great in their discipline and you suddenly put them in a role they're not going to perform great, that's not fair to them. It, you know, it's not fair to the people they're supporting and it, undermines the organization's performance overall. So it's kind of a big systemic problem. But then even for those managers that we're promoting, we aren't really readying them enough for this work. We aren't helping them, A, understand what those expectations are and giving them the tools and the techniques that help them get more confident and comfortable in this space. So, you know, we when we're working with people, we talk a lot about building manager muscle. Like how do you start to give them simple ways to build those tools and techniques that make them feel successful because then they'll, the more that they have conversations with people that they walk away and go, wow, that was great, the more they'll do it, right? And so you need to really ready them for that and help them feel like I can do this and this is this makes my life and my experience better. Yeah, I mean, I think in the past, you know, we've said that annual reviews have been a single point of failure because they are just based on one person's opinion, which is the manager. Right. and 
you know, if they're not a good coach throughout the year, then that does become a painful process. Um, how do you think crowdsource feedback can change that? Well, I think, um, not surprising, Sarah, I think it's huge, right? Because what we need to remember is that this process is inherently human. We we can't take the human out of it. That's what it's all about. But because it's inherently human, it has, you know, some downsides and some upsides. And some of those downsides are the biases that we bring to the table just completely, you know, without malice. But it's just the reality of who we are. We have recency bias. What have we seen recently? We have line of sight bias. What do we have visibility to versus what we don't? We have our own frameworks. Are we an easy grader or a hard grader? Do we like the way someone does it the way I would do it? Or if they did it differently, does that, you know, not connect with us? So there's those types of biases that we bring to the table, which drive, um, you know, what is known as the idiosyncratic effect, that if I as a single person am rating another person, that rating has a lot more to do about me, about 65% about me than it does about that person. So the only way we can mitigate that I've really come up with that, human bias in a human process is to welcome more people to the conversation. And so I think the crowdsourcing is hugely important. It's one of our fundamental fundamental shifts is welcome more voices. And it's just like if, you know, if after the work human conference, I asked one person how I did, that's going to be very different insights than if I asked 40 people. The more that we can gather that input and triangulate that to help us understand what those key themes and messages are, that opens us up to be much more willing to take it in and look at it than if it's one-on-one. And so I think, you know, the crowdsourcing is huge. And I love your analogy with work human. And I think it can work with uh, recognition too. So I was going Mm -hmm. to ask you, you know, you had said, you know, we're still human. And a lot of times that's why the process either works or doesn't work because you're catering to, you know, how we work as humans. So, how do you think social recognition can humanize performance management? Yeah, well, I think that, you know, going back to my my comment about the science, I mean, I think if you look at the sort of the neuroscience that's behind this, we we as humans want to know that our contributions matter. I've actually, within people from, I've tried to shut down that idea of with them, what's in it for me, because I don't actually think people are totally motivated by what's in it for me. I think they're more motivated by how am I connected or showing up or having an impact with my peers, with the organization? And so the best way that people can get validation and insight into that is through that social recognition. Because if people are starting to say, this, what you did values to, is valuable to me, or, you know, it's important that um, we recognize you for those contributions, then that becomes systemic, right? That starts to reinforce that, well, I want to do more of that. And so if I want to do more of that, that opens me up to saying, help me think about how I can do more of that. So that changes the performance conversation, not from, oh, this is what you were doing wrong, but turns it to a future-focused, strength-based approach of, we love your contributions. We want to know how we can take your strengths and your contributions and get more value for us as a community or as an organization or, you know, whatever the context. And that's a much better place to be than a fight or flight mode on, you know, I don't like my 3.2 and I think you gave me the wrong number. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have a thing with decimal points. Don't even get me into decimal points. <laughs> do, you, do you see a lot of companies using decimal points? Oh, you see them, yes, believe it or not. You know, and it gets back to this process, unfortunately, over the years coming out of the industrial era, we've tried to, mech, you know, mechanically, 
mechanize it, right? We've tried to make it a machine. And yeah. at the worst extremes, those machines have decimal points, yes. <laughs> Let's just get rid of them all together. I just <laughs> Oh, funny. Uh, so your company, uh, People Firm, you do change management consulting. I love looking at, you know, mergers and acquisitions and what, what their impact, how do companies deal with them. Um, in your work, what what's usually the biggest mistake when companies are going undergoing a change like that? Yeah, I think if you talk about merger and acquisition or integration, the there's two key topics that are tightly related and I think it's culture and alignment. And, you know, when people are going through the due diligence and particularly if both parties are interested in, in putting something together, we sort of skim the surface and we might think, Hey, culturally we look pretty much the same and Hey, this is going to be great. And yes, we are aiming for the same outcomes, but we don't really kind of dig in to ensure that, you know, we truly are aligned both culturally on how we want be operating and strategically on what is the shared destination that we're going towards. And I think what often happens when you get into the mix of that merger and acquisition, you know, into the meat of it, we find that those are actually not as aligned and not as consistent as we thought. And that, if you're not willing or ready as leaders to address that, I think that's what undermines a lot of the value that can be created. So, you know, we, we think it's important to really spend time on, you know, if we are if we all are saying, yes, we want to be an apple in, in the sense of the fruit, you know, then it's like, are we talking about a red apple or a green apple? And are we, is that apple sliced or, is it, you know, I mean, I think you have to kind of get to that nitty gritty so we really understand and have a shared view of where we're headed. Do you think it has to do with core values, you know, having shared values? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the cultural element, right? And that's where I think you, you can look at that surface and say, Hey, culturally, yes, we are an innovation company. But then again, if you double click on innovation, you may find that for two entities, that means a completely different thing. That may mean for one organization, you know, we, we value failure and we build that into our process and we're agile and we move quickly. And for another, it may be we, you know, buy up as many innovative companies as we can. I mean, you know, it can take very different forms. And I think until we right. really understand what we mean by it, that's where we get into trouble. So for for our listeners out there, uh, you have a session at Work Human this year. Uh, we're excited to have you. And your session is titled How to Reboot Your Culture with Human-Centered Performance Management. And it's in the Organization of the Future track. So uh, what can people expect from your session? Um, well, I think I'm guessing that a lot of people that are coming to the Work Human Conference already realize we need to do this. We need to sort of rethink how we're going to do this through a performance management process. So we're only going to touch lightly on why we need to change, but we're going to focus the discussion on how we need to shift our thinking and what are some of the frameworks and ideas that can help you get there and what might that look like when it's really done right. So that's what I'm hoping to spend our time on um, at the Work Human Conference. Great. Yeah, we're really excited to have you. Thanks, Sarah. I'm excited to be there. So that's our interview with Tamara Chandler. I hope you enjoyed it. If you would like to see Tamara in person as well as more than 60 other speakers at this year's Work Human Conference, you can still register by visiting www.workhuman.com. And if you put in the code podcast, you'll save 100 bucks. So have a wonderful day and thanks for listening to Work Human Radio.